Welcome to Season 2 of the Gamers Change Lives Podcast. In Season 1, we learned about entrepreneurs and others around the world who were creating jobs and opportunities through esports. The one common theme throughout the season was that it takes money to create jobs and change lives. But let's face it, money can be hard to find, especially in some parts of the world, maybe in your part of the world. But this season, we are going to share stories from esports entrepreneurs in emerging markets and showcase how they found funding they need to be successful. We're also going to talk to investors in Africa, Asia, India, who have invested in esports and highlight the challenges that those markets face. In addition, we're going to talk about sponsors who provide funding to teams, tournament organizers, and streamers. Join us on this journey for Season 2 of the Gamers Change Lives podcast, aptly titled, Follow the Money. And now your host, Tom Leonard. I'm Tom Leonard. I'm the host of the Gamers Change Lives podcast. Now, when it comes to esports, I am not an expert. I'm more of an explorer. The goal of the podcast is to talk to esports entrepreneurs around the world to hear how esports can create jobs and maybe inspire others to do the same. Our tagline is play games, create jobs, change lives. Now we're in season two and we're talking with esports um, experts in sponsorship, investment, merchandising, and other ways to generate revenue. Because one of the things that you always find out is it takes money to create these jobs. We call this season Follow the Money. Really happy to have two great guests here from two different continents. Trev Keen, who's the director, um, esports strategy at Epic Global and advisor judge at Stadia Ventures. And Cholwe Shabukali, co-founder and managing director at Team Gematrix and a Zambian esports pi- uh, pioneer. So welcome to both of you. Trev, where are you p- uh, talking to us from? I'm in a place called Kilkenny in the southeast of Ireland. It's great to be uh, to be on the show, and I'm loving the fact that we've got uh, two different continents um, represented. So it just shows the uh, how, how small about how big esports is. Yes, yes. So, uh, Choli, where are you speaking from? Hi. Uh, so I'm speaking from uh, Lusaka, Zambia. Uh, I, I like to believe that Zambia is like the heart of Southern Africa, and we hope that most of the opportunities for esports come from our center. <laughs> Great, great. Hey, could you both each talk a little bit about how you got started in esports? Choe, how did you get started in esports? So I've been playing video games ever since I was like six or seven. My first uh, video game was Mortal Kombat on PS2. So that's really when I started off. Then after that, I got into Contra and more of the other Sega games. So that was really the birth of my passion for gaming. Then about 2015, I got to attend a gaming convention by an organization called Nedotaku by friends, some friends of mine. And there, that, that was when I saw esports for the first time. I saw people playing Injustice and Mortal Kombat, and I was so inspired by the competitiveness. But my actual business journey started in 2017 when uh, my co-founder and I, uh, Prince Musole, decided to do a business in gaming. So we didn't want to just do something more of a hobby, like an event for a hobby, wanted to create a sustainable business within esports or gaming, but we didn't know how. So we joined an incubator called Bongo Hive, and then we got to know a lot about what starting a business is, business models, revenue streams. And after that, it really kickstarted our foundation. We did an event, found some talent, signed a few players, 
within a month, we were at our first uh, Sub-Saharan Africa tournament in Kenya and we won. Then after that, it was uphill from there and we've won about over six championships. And uh, we've represented our country and brand in the U.S., Ireland, South Africa, Kenya, and Zambia as well. That's great. No, all kinds of great experience, all kinds of things to talk about there. Trev, what gets you into esports? Very, um, very different journey. You didn't start with Mortal Kombat? I didn't start with Mortal Kombat, no. And as you can tell by the hair, people can't listening can't, but I'm a lot older than what I sound. I grew up gaming, whether it was... Mega Drives, whether it was uh, Commodores, Playstations, moving on. So they were a big part of my life in the in the 90s. And esports was a foreign term. I can remember getting first edition of FIFA that ever came out. My father got it for me in Asia. And we had to take it apart because it wouldn't fit in. Cartridges were bigger. And we used to have these tournaments with my friends. But we didn't know. We were just hanging. We were just playing games. And that continued all the way through. And like there was... Games like Pro Evolution Soccer, John Luma Rugby, Dune, and like these games were just part of our lives. You know, we all lived together in apartments, and and then there was a gap as you travelled. And I worked in finance, you know, I casually games, and then about two thousand and fourteen, two thousand fifteen, I actually started to look into this, and I was there. Wow, okay, there's actually these competitive games going on around the world, and I made the decision to uh, get an EA license with a guy. Um, I got a friend of mine, Jeff Wilson, who's just a fantastic sports marketer. And we set up this tournament. We, we had connections in football and we, we, we got eight football clubs, eight aspiring FIFA players. We created a tournament. We took the last bit of money we had and bought the license. And that's just kicked off what has been a very grateful journey to have gone on, to be honest with you. So, um, yeah, and it's eight years and counting now. Great. I can hear the excitement in your voice when you're talking about it. It's like somewhere along the line, you figured out you can play games for a living. Yeah. Yeah. Like I I love it in this house because like, you know, most kids, you know, they get to play with their dad and they're joyous. And, you know, for me, it's, I get to play with my kids, a game of fall guys, and I'm secretly researching it to see, is there something we can do here? That's pretty cool. If I lose to my kid at FIFA, I can play him again because I'm competitive, but I like the game and and I want to see where it goes. The house is, it's just a blend for me of trying out these games, seeing what works. And yeah, it's, it's fantastic. Yes. No, that sounds great. Hey, to jump into the, the topics here, I want to talk first about sponsorship because sponsorship is kind of the basic model for funding esports events all around the world. Choe, in Zambia, what, who are the main sponsors of esports in your country? So esports in terms of sponsorships is really in its genesis, I should say, because there's a lot of cultural barriers. People still have that stigma with gaming. So even in our case, most of our reach of people who are aware of uh, our brand and what we're doing is outside our country, outside the region, as opposed to within the the country. So we find a situation where we have companies like Infinix. Infinix is a smartphone uh, mobile company. They have been really uh, helpful in our growth, especially sponsorship and supporting us. Then uh, we also have ISPs that have some presence in gaming, such as Liquid technologies. They have some presence in gaming. They actually have some bundles for gaming going on right now. We also have TechX Hub. So TechX Hub is a company in uh, UAE, but uh, they have actually sponsored us, partnered with us to provide us with uh, gaming peripherals for our team. So I'm actually wearing a Steel Series headphone from TechX Hub. So yeah, there's a couple of companies that... <laughs> 
That's a good plug. That was a good plug. Yeah. So, uh, so you know, um, what can I say? Uh, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? So we have a situation where uh, companies are slowly conforming to the marketing value of esports. That's there when it comes to reaching uh, the younger demographic. So we're there for the long ride, and uh, we'll keep seeing which other companies come into the the journey as well. So how's it different in uh, Ireland for you, Trev? I'm trying to work out how you eat an elephant. I know it's one bite at a time, but where do you start? It's interesting because... I know where you don't start. (laughs) It's really interesting because there's a lot of similarities between the Irish market and the African market in that Ireland's a very nascent market. The big difference, I think, is that in Ireland, you've got these amazing gaming companies that have their HQs. You know, you've you've got um, Activism Blizzard, you've Riot, you've EA, all have European headquarters. But we don't have that joined up thinking, you know, as a country. So uh, what I'd say is there's, there is definitely a shift coming. Um, I think esports itself, maybe we've had some, uh, what I would say, kind of challenger brands, maybe that see gaming as a good vertical to go into. So the likes of Unpost, who've done some work with um, with the collegiate um, esports scene with, with, with a company called Legion, which has been great to see. Um, and then you've kind of smaller brands that maybe have dipped their dipped their toes in, and you've other brands that again have dipped their toes in brands like Lucasade, Tree, but you haven't seen a holistic kind of full on approach. It's kind of sample budget here, it's small budget here. Whereas what I would love to see, and, and I'm sure Cholway would love to see the same, is is a hero brand that kind of just comes in and leads from the top down and shows you know what can be done at a country level because the opportunity is there. There's gamers in Ireland, you know, there's gamers in, you know in Zambia. Both need a hero brand to kind of elevate it up. And I, and I think that's the missing piece. We're, we're getting teasers of it, the potential. Yeah, it's an interesting concept there to have, uh, have a hero brand. We talked to uh, Luca Tuconi from Red Bull South Africa. And he had some really interesting ideas on how to approach a sponsor because he's obviously approached a lot. And I know that Red Bull, Chile, I think you've had some interaction with Red Bull in South Africa as well, right? Yes, we had a tournament that occurred by African Cyber League Gaming, ACGL, where our players participated in the Warner Brothers tournament. And Luca Tuconi was a shoutcaster and uh, Red Bull was really uh, supportive of that event. So that's as close as we got to the brand. <laughs> yes, yes. Maybe, Trev, maybe you could describe, it would be really interesting to hear about a particular sponsorship that you were, were a part of acquiring for some of your activities there. If anyone comes to mind, if you can kind of describe how you go out and identify and attract and sign a sponsor for a particular event or team. Yeah, so it's ever evolving. I can talk about how how we do it now and then I can talk about the rudimentary approach we had when I was starting off. So right now we've got a, you know, within Epic Global, we've got a a commercial team that are, are reaching out to brands constantly. We analyze the social of the teams we work with. We get a sense of what their audience affinity is for brands. And then we use an in-house system where we track and identify the leads within those. And really you're going out and you know, you're targeting kind of key decision makers within these organizations and their agencies. And I'll get to that in a second, but who play a large part in that. And you're trying to ascertain of where they are on their journey. You know, are they at the education phase where they're just learning or are at the phase where they, they're ready to push the button on something? And then you have to, you really have to target the property to them, depending on the leg of their journey on it. And a lot of the time, a brand is not ready for an esports sponsorship, you know, so 
gaming, working with content creators, you know, especially as influencers, is is almost a Trojan horse to get into that hopefully bigger conversation for them and, and leveraging off the content creators within, in an esports team. So it's very important. Um, if I go back a few years ago, one of the biggest ones that I'm probably most proud of is uh, is bringing TikTok to um, to Tundra. They were the front of shirt sponsor of Tundra's FIFA team and ended up having that sponsorship and that digital kit in the game. And it was used millions, millions of times. Can't think of the exact number, but it was a big number. And that one is, it was a very simple conversation. It was using tools like LinkedIn. It was having a good message, you know, which I always felt it was important to have the right message to reach out and hitting the right person at the right time. I mean, there's so much hard work that goes into getting any deal over the line, whether it's 1,000 or a million. But there's also what people don't realize is there has to be an element of luck. It has to be the right person, you know, and they have to want to do something. I mean, sometimes uh, I should nearly print off and frame the no's I've got, put them up on the wall. But the only thing is I wouldn't have enough wall space. You know, every time you get a yes, it really, it really matters. There's no one deal that stands out, I guess, but, but the TikTok one was quite good. But what I would say to anybody that's chasing sponsorship, you know, in esports is the importance of agencies. Agencies working with brands, they've controlled the budget. It's not necessarily direct. You do need to get in and build that relationship with the brand, but ultimately they will build that trust with you and redirect to their brand, sorry, to their agency um, who has that particular spend that you need. And, and that's very important to note. And if you can find brands that are transition with agencies, you know, are not yet have pointed an agency, then they absolutely represent a fantastic opportunity for you. But that takes a lot of research, time, and patience. Congratulations on TikTok, because I think they are one of, I've always heard that they are one of the hardest companies to land a deal with for all kinds of things. So that's really impressive from an vantage point here. Can you talk just, just briefly, what kind of time frame was there on the TikTok deal? How much time did it take before you made the first connection to there was money in the bank my longest deal at the moment just to put everything in context is 18 months that went live a few weeks ago that was a lot of blood sweat tears will it happen paperwork and it's amazing from actually getting the verbal commitment to yes let's do something to actually getting a signed contract is what takes takes a while tiktok took in total it was about three to four weeks we had we had an actual proposition in place of what, you know, the bones of um, of a structure of an agreement would look like. It actually took two and a half months to three months after that to close out because of, of the legal side of things. So, again, people need to be very cognizant of there's a couple of steps. Yes, you've got to find the right person. You've got to agree in a broad of, well, does your ask match with what they're willing to spend and where's the wiggle room there? Then you've got to get that into, you know, some form of an agreement, whether it's a memorandum of understanding or whether it's a full agreement. That has to be signed off by various legal parties outside of that. And then you still have payment terms after that. So the money might land, the full amount might land into the bank 12 months after that deal is done. There's a lot of steps here that that, that need to be followed. And I think that's um, it's very important that people understand that. That was one of the core competencies of working over here at Warner Brothers was my ability to work with the legal department. It was almost impossible to bring on a new vendor. It was crazy. It was like months and months. On one hand, the legal department was a very big part of everything that we did at Warner Brothers. But at the same time, it was important 
that we protect. We're working on Harry Potter. We're working on the properties that we're working on. You, you need that kind of, of support. Hey, one of the things I was going to ask you about is what was success, let's say with TikTok? What, what, what were they looking for? Were they looking for views? Were they looking for what did success look like from the TikTok side on your deal? I think it was the fact to be seen as innovative. It was brand awareness. It was reaching that new audience. It's almost a sense of irony to be an app within a game in terms of your advertising. So I think there was that element of it that was really interesting for them. And I think then, you know, creating the brand awareness. Yeah, I mean, this is early doors for TikTok as well. You know, it's coming on three years now, you know, since I started. So it it wasn't as big as as what it was now either. It remains their first esports sponsorship, you know, and done one or two since. Um, on that. Oh, that's great. Great. Uh, Choe, you're mentioning that you were doing some particular sponsorship deals. Can you describe one particular one that worked out really well, you thought, and kind of what it took to make that happen from your side? Yeah, I think one that worked really well was our sponsorship deal with Infinix. Well, it wasn't really a sponsorship per se, but it was more like a collaboration for us to bring some value to them in terms of putting their brand in the face of our community. So we did a tournament for them. We organized a tournament for them, which went really well in 2019. And this year we finally did more like an ad, like an actual advert with a player who's marketing a smartphone for gaming. That was really exciting for us because it shows the real value for a brand to actually show how their actual product is used by a popular gamer within the community so that other gamers could see themselves with the actual brand. So it creates that relationship between the brand and the community. So um, that was the first time a brand in Zambia has actually put their foot forward and done something like this. So it was pretty exciting to be part of that project. And uh, we look forward to other projects that are coming up between us and Infinix. Other than that, the other sponsorship I should say that really was uh, fruitful was uh, the one with TechX Hub, uh, where they sponsored a brand with uh, gaming peripherals. Not only did they sponsor the players on the team, but they sponsored us with products that we could give to our communities uh, after they played certain tournaments. So if they play tournaments, they're able to win Steel Series peripherals. Uh, not only did they sponsor Zambia, but they actually sponsored Ghana, Zimbabwe, and I believe Nigeria as well with uh, gaming peripherals. So we're actually able to do like a cross-country tournament at some point between all of us who are partnered with TechX Hub uh, so that we could actually, you know, do something cool and create more content around our little community. So I think uh, those are the two brands that are notable for me to mention at this point. So like I was asking Trev, what was the time frame? when you were doing the, one of those deals, how long did it take, you know, before the first conversation and when it was all done? For example, when it came to the deal when we were doing the, the product advert, I think it took like three months, I should say three months, because, you know, there's the initial meeting where you brainstorm about what you could do. And then there's the back and forth internally that they may have in terms of their budgets and when they are ready to actually execute on it. And then you actually plan on when you can execute on it. Then you have the execution uh, runway period. And then there's also the marketing period uh, when things go live. And then afterwards, there's the reporting and the back end of how did it go? Did we hit our targets? Uh, what can we do next to do better or reach the community better? Things like that. So it takes time. 
I think deals require patience. Uh, you have to be patient with uh, the brand you're communicating with because your urgency is not their urgency. <laughs> so, you, so you have to go in, in a good time. Uh, some companies here in Zambia require you to approach them three months before an actual event. So it's such you give them that time to actually ideate whether it's a good fit for them. But time depends on the company as well. So I think it also depends on when you approach them as well, because most companies want to finish their marketing budget towards the end of the year. So you, you have to approach them towards the end of the year and say, yeah, hey, we want to do something with you next year. <laughs> uh, we know you have some money right now. Can you put it in the budget? We need to finish it, you know? So I think it's also, you have to be more aware of marketing. You have to be more aware of how marketing works and how the actual marketing managers deal with their money and the timeframes they have. Treff, from your experience there, can you think of things that might work differently in Ireland that you're picturing don't work the same in Africa? It's interesting, actually, because uh, when I think of Ireland versus a continent like Africa, obviously, uh, and there's different experiences all across the uh, that particular landscape. But what always strikes me is that in large parts of Africa, it's mobile first. At least it's on its way to being mobile first. So you look at games like maybe uh, Bang Bang, or Free Fire, um, even PUBG. Mobile esports should be almost um, the gaming strategy of choice for most organizations um, because it gives you a very larger pool to pull from. And that's different, we'll say, Ireland, which would be very much you know, um, a PC and console-first kind of gaming experience. I also think that um, the pool of talent, I think, is probably greater you can see that there's a real opportunity to link gaming to education and STEM learning at, at that level. I, again, in some, some African countries, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't fully understand the landscape and I'd be the first to hold my hand up on that. But it's something that I think is a great opportunity in schools and you can kind of see how that, how that, how that can grow. And the same applies to Ireland yet. We haven't broached that topic um, at a holistic level. I think the same challenges probably... Um, that are in Ireland, are in Africa. I think one is mainstream conversation is a challenge. Two, I think brand adoption is, you know, is scattered. Three, I think governmental support, you know, is not fully there yet. And I think there are three very big boxes that need to be ticked when you talk about it. And governmental support doesn't necessarily have to be about recognizing esport as a, as a sport. That's not necessarily what the conversation needs to be about. It's actually more about providing the, su- the support for a person with a passion for esports that has the skill to be a top-tier player to allow them the visas to travel just like an athlete would for Commonwealth Games or an Olympic Games or providing them the infrastructure so they can actually develop in a top-tier environment with other top-tier um, esports people. That's kind of what I'm talking about in that regard. So there's a few nuances, but I think there's a lot of similarities as well, actually. Uh, that, no, that's good to hear. Esports is still esports. People are playing FIFA, no matter where they are. I wanted to move on here to talk a little bit about investment, because in particular, Trev, you, some of the work that you've done there with Stadia Ventures, as an example, it just looks really, really interesting. And one of the things, you know, we're talking about sponsorship as a way to get money to run the business right now, but what about growing it and the potential for investment? Can you talk a little bit about where do teams and where do tournament organizers, where do they typically get their investment money from in your part of the world? It's a great question. It is something that's really, really difficult to um, to kind of pinpoint as one 
one answer. I'm going to do my best and I'll give you I'll give you some insight. But from an Irish perspective, we're very lucky in that there is a fantastic ecosystem for people of an entrepreneurial mindset. You've got programs like New Frontiers. You've got programs like the NDRC coming out of, of Dogpatch. And these back entrepreneurs with good ideas. We've also got a very strong angel investment network. So I think, you know, as a starting point, you're always told family and friends. Some people are fortunate enough that they can turn to family and friends. Others aren't. What I would look at is what accelerator programs are in your country and building out your own proposition in your head that it is a really good, really good business that you're looking to develop out. I meet a lot of people at the moment that are building out tournament hosting platforms and they come for just some general advice, always happy to share. I look at the tournament world right now and I think that's a really competitive space. You know, you've got challenger mode, you've battle for, you know, not mention what the likes of PlayStation can do with, within their own network in partnerships with providers. You know, you've smashed GG. I mean, Starladder, whatever it is, that there's so many tournament providers. Why would anybody go to look at, at investing in another another tournament provider? Whereas you maybe look at data points that can be captured, you know, from tournaments and games as a potential area for growth within an investment. So it's really about building out what your idea and your proposition is, looking at what it is, seeing then who in your network can support you, going to local councils, going to accelerators, and then going to angel funds, and then working your way up the um, up the food chain. But ultimately, the only way to really have a successful business is to get customers, get out there, push yourself out there, and build something smart. Do you find that when in talking to investors that there's a lot of education needed to get people to understand what esports is and how it might be a business investment? Of course. I mean, it's always good to have an investor that understands either your sector or your business model. That's very important. If they're passionate about your sector, it can be good and a bad thing. Are they a passive investor? It can be a good or a bad thing. Depends on what they are. So it has to be a right fit all around. You know, I'm guilty of this myself, to be fair. Maybe a story for another podcast, but I've had the wrong investor. It hasn't worked, but I was so obsessed with getting that money in the door that I didn't think of, of you know, the consequences, you know, and ultimately that business didn't do well because we weren't all, it wasn't the right investment strategy for it and it wasn't the right business model or it wasn't the right business at that particular time. And that can be hard for your confidence. It can be hard for um, for your soul, I guess, you know, so it's very important. And I think my advice for anybody is yes, by all means, look for investment, but build out your proposition, know what you are, understand your value, understand what you're bringing to the market. And, you know, if you think you've got something that's really special as a, as a business proposition, maybe think bigger than your region. Ireland in investment is very different from UK investment, which is very different from US investment, where if you write something on the back of a stamp, you could be a unicorn within a day. It's very important to kind of understand that. And investment's a young person's game as well at times, you know, in terms of you know, you have to be willing to put in the graft and, and the time. And if you think you're going to get lots of rejections from brands, wait till you get a rejection email from an investor. It's fun and games, fun and games. That's what we call it. It, it is. It is. One of the things that I keep trying to tell people is think long term. It's like you can't think about I need money this weekend. It's like, no, have a plan 
for the longer term. Toa, in uh, in Zambia, what does it look like for investment there? For let's say, if you want to start an esports business, are there sources of investment there that you can go to? I think it depends on you. I think a lot of people in Zambia, okay, not a lot, but quite a couple of people in gaming are still looking at it as a hobby. A lot of people don't really see it as something where they could make money. I think a lot of people are there at the joy of being a gamer, but not looking at it from the business side. So, you know, sometimes even myself, I have to switch, you know, from being a gamer to actually being a business person. So it's a mindset switch. So a lot of us are stuck in the gaming mindset. When it comes to getting investment, uh, there are a lot of grant opportunities that are coming up for women in, in technology. That, like Standard Chartered had a grant program that I was a part of. We didn't make it, but it was a good project where they were giving out $10,000 to women in technology. A couple of grant programs that are coming up uh, through accelerators like Bongo Hive. And there's also Jacaranda Hub. I think they actually have some accelerator programs. But when it comes to funding, I think what really matters is what Trev said about building something valuable. And I think it's something that uh, one of uh, our co-owners, he's an investor, but we call him a co-owner, he's a co-owner now, (laughs) Dr. Bruce Dunhams. uh, He's more like a mentor to me as well. He said, before the world can believe that, pun intended, I hope I can, I can curse a bit on this podcast. Is it PG-18? Oh, yeah, you, can say, you can say anything here. It's like. <laughs> okay. He's, he's like. Um, no, so this is, this is where the viewership spikes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. PG-18, guys. So like before the world uh, knows you're the shit, you have to believe you're the shit. So you have to build the value. You have to build a product that you love and not not just you, but something that you know your community will love, something that uh, would drive passion and unity. And that's where the kicker is. I believe once you build the community, you know, brands will start seeing the value in trying to get in your community, to get in the eyes of your community, in front of your community. So I believe you should start with uh, building your, your value, concentrating more on your value before you start thinking of the money. The money comes along the way. Sometimes money can, can come early in your journey and it kills your business. But you have to build uh, value and build a team, a team that's going to be ready for the money <laughs> when it comes through. Uh, that, that's not just going to blow it on a Ferrari or something, but a team that's ready to actually utilize the money the right way. So those are two things uh, I believe people should really look out for. Angel investment, I believe, is what I'd go for. I wouldn't go for VC just as yet. A lot of VCs are talking about going into second round. Like I was talking to a friend of mine because uh, we were looking at funding opportunities and a lot of uh, esports VCs were saying we're coming in the second round. So which means now you have to focus on building your value, building your drive. A lot of people are looking at tournament, tournament platforms, just like Chef said. I've seen that so much. I'm guilty of it because we have kind of like a small tournament platform-ish situation on our, on our site as well. Uh, so there's that aspect that everyone is looking at, but we have to think broader into what value we can give esports gamers and what value investors can actually benefit from in the long term. We have to also look at it from the business side, make money. How do we make money and grow the businesses? That's a, yeah, that's the whole theme of season two here. Can you talk a little bit, Toa, about the accelerator? I think you called it Bongo Hive. Can you t- tell a little bit to the audience about, describe a little bit about 
how you found out about them, what it was like to get accepted there, what, what was the application like, and what do you think you got out of it? My best friend at the time and her husband introduced me to the accelerator idea because uh, I just wanted to start a business, but I didn't know how. So the greatness about accelerators is they shift your mindset to really not look at it from your passion, but look at it from how to structure your business, create revenue streams, also uh, focus on your persona. Which target persona are you really looking at? Who's your real target for your particular esports organization or company? What are you really targeting? What are you really selling to this audience? And how best uh, are you looking at growing your business? You know, you, you look at the value of, <laughs> okay, the value in a nutshell uh, that I can say is uh, it taught us to structure our business into four categories. Like we have operations, we have the finance department, then we have the human uh, resource department where we deal with now operations with, in terms of the people in the organization. And then we have my favorite department, which is the dreaming department where you just dream about the future and, <laughs> and how you're going to get to to a certain point. So the 10-year plan, those are the valuable things I got from the accelerator. I got the drive to really think about it as a business and not just as fun. So it is fun. It's my passion, but really how do I make the money to make my partners uh, happy, make our employees happy, and uh, also grow the business? Because you a lot of people in esports, we are guilty of looking at esports like an evangelism type of situation where we have to save the world and prove that esports is the golden opportunity, right? In short, we are thinking of it like from Bill Gates' mindset, like we are all going to save the world with esports. But the truth is you, you can't be Bill Gates without actually making the money to be of value as Bill Gates. So grow your business. And as you grow your business, people will see the value, people will see the growth and the impact, the, the impact of people through your business. And that's what's going to shift the mindset of esports. What I keep hearing both of you talking about is how important it is to, to create value. If you don't have value, sponsors aren't going to be lis- listening to you. Investors are not going to be listening to you. So Trev, in Ireland, are accelerators a common way for esports businesses to get up and running? I think accelerators are, are a great way for any business to get up and running. They give you a grounding. They give you good mentorship. You have your, your business plans and your ideologies challenged. If you're an open-minded and of a growth mentality, that's a good thing. Um, if you take criticism, then badly, then maybe not. If you're going, if you're going down the road of, of starting a business or certainly, you know, what, what you would say is an emerging tech business or, or, or even a technology business, then an accelerator is a really, really strong way to go. But I, I think just picking up on, on, on just something that, uh, Chobe was saying, you know, um, you know, about investment and, um, you know, getting out there. I, I think a large part of the investment journey is, is being able to tell your story you know, of what you're wanting to do, what you want to achieve. I mean, investors invest in people, really. You know, I, I used to always hear, hear this, the, the people in, in the NDRC um, accelerator, and you say, you back the jockey, not the horse. Are you the right jockey to guide to guide this business? You know, have you got success in either private, um, institutionalized work, you know, or in the field of entrepreneurship and startups? You know, can you lead teams? Can you can you make me my money back and some, you know, and that's what they're looking to you 
to be able to give them that confidence, you know. So it's a challenge, you know. And I think the other piece that stood out for me over recent weeks was particularly around esports investments. And I think it's been a positive is the um, is the phase phase clan IPO, you know. So we everybody's been waiting for this for months and months. There's been a nervousness around this. Esports was all doom and gloom. Investment was slowing down in in esports organizations. There was no monetary value, you know, in esports, you know, and now we've got, you know, like they've not quite doubled yet, but but they had at one point almost, you know, it's it's trading about $15.50, which is up on the cost uh, on their launch price. So so that's a real positive. And the other thing to note around that is the Cowboys became the most expensive franchise in sport um, yesterday or today um, for the stake of prosperity, we'll say in August. And they hit an eight billion valuation, okay. And if you go back to the nineties, Jerry Jones was a lunatic for spending one hundred ninety million to buy them. Donald Trump pulled out of of a deal for them and said, you know, good luck, they'd be gone in a couple of years. Really, if you've got an idea, you shouldn't listen to anybody on your gut and go with it. Is the because nobody knows how something's going to turn out. You'll always have naysayers. You'll always have a bit of doom and gloom, and then you'll have always cheerleaders and champions you know so finding a right balance listening to the right people getting objective and uh, feedback is kind of the way to go from any investment proposition not just esports you commented earlier about you know being able to take criticism and whether it's you know in an accelerator program or any kind of business situation you need a good team you need good mentors and you need to know how to work with them to your benefit to their benefit and I also really like when you're talking about bet on the jockey, not on the horse. Certainly in investment, and I think it's it probably true in Africa, and it's probably true in Ireland as well. So the last thing that we wanted to kind of just briefly talk about, because we're running out of time here, but merchandising, because merchandising can be a, a way to generate revenue. And I should, oh, I should have my team Demetrix t-shirt on, which is right, right in, in the other room, because... I participated in your merchandising program. So wait, can you just talk about what merchandising is, how it's working for your organization there in Zambia? Uh, yeah, merchandising is working well for us, especially now that we partnered uh, with Acquire. So Acquire is more like our partner when it comes to merchandising. So because of our partnership, we're able to produce our merchandise and ship it globally. So that's pretty great for us. The other thing is that uh, I think merchandising in general is a great way to build more of your brand and more of your community because people get to carry your brand with them. So it could be a coffee mug, it could be a water bottle, a t-shirt, a cap. So your brand gets to be in the face of the players. It also um, is a great way for advertising for companies because, you know, uh, esports jersey is more like a walking billboard. So whichever tournament your players are going to, whichever, you know, the eyes that will be on those jerseys will be, you know, millions of millions of thousands of eyes, depending on the, the, the actual tournament, whether it's a League of Legends tournament or EVO. But there'll be so many eyes on that. So I believe that merchandise is a great way for 
brands to really uh, market themselves within the teams and uh, influence the communities. But also it's an opportunity for teams to create value and create fun, fun activities with the players, uh, with the communities as well. Because you have, it's like so much fun because of the creativity. You can create so much. So even when, uh, when it comes to me, I look at my favorite esports teams, uh, like 100 Thieves, Team Liquid. I always look at how they partner with um, other entities to create fun merchandise. For example, um, I love the Team Liquid and Marvel partnership. So they created jerseys based on Marvel characters. Uh, uh, you, you had uh, Iron Man, Captain America. You know, it creates fun and a way for you to generate revenue. 100 Thieves has also seen success with um, monetizing revenue. So it's something that we are also building on, and so far it has been going well. Most of our our customers are outside Zambia. I think maybe it's because we, we charge in USD and we have a, a situation right now that's hitting the economy because uh, a lot of esports teams have been hit by, I think it's the inflation because of the war and what's happening in the US. So shipping costs have really skyrocketed. So a lot of uh, esports teams are putting certain things on the shelf and saying out of stock or increasing on the price. So we're in a moment where we're being affected, uh, but we're still optimistic. So it's just a matter of pivoting and saying, we'll just sell t-shirts <laughs> and we'll make, uh, we'll make cool t-shirts and expand on selling t-shirts that are cheaper to ship. But yeah, so that's where we are. But so far, merchandising has been great. One of the complications that you're describing there that even Trev probably runs into in, in his part of the world is still the cost of currency. I mean, the, the exchange rate and how that can impact things because nothing's done in a vacuum. Trev, do you find that merchandising to be a big part of the esports enterprises in your part of the world? I think if you're at the size of a hundred thieves or a phase or a fanatic, you know, and you've created a brand that kind of almost transcends um, esports and gaming, then I think merchandising is um is a fantastic way to um uh, to drive revenue um i think what a lot of people kind of need to remember though is is what drives the need to get your favorite hoodie from an esports team or your jersey from an esports team it really is kind of three things it's what kind of community have you built up around your esports organization what's the level of um, fandom that's linked to that how culturally relevant is your merchandise? How cool is it? How how casual it is? How street is it is? And then the third point, which I'm going to stall myself for three seconds because I've confused myself and forgot what the third point was, but I know it was brilliant. Was what's your strategy around getting that out there? How are you getting? How are you getting it? I mean, I'm very interested to, to you know to learn about um you know what Cholva is doing with Acquire, I think it is, and that distribution because one of the biggest challenges you see is. Esports teams, you know, they partner with maybe mainstream, you know, sporting goods providers like Nike and Adidas, you know, and because they're not at the size of a Premier League football club, the fulfillment isn't the same. So it becomes a real challenge for these guys to tap into into that. So um, I think those three pieces are are, are par- important parts of the jigsaw. And I think once you do that, you know, I think you've got a really good opportunity to drive revenue and yeah, be relevant. Now it's it, the same story everywhere. When it comes to uh, the merchandising side of things, no matter where you are. And one of the things I always look to is uh, here in Burbank, it's like, you know, Disney Marvel is just down the street. Warner Brothers is a little bit further. DC is down there. But those companies are built to a large part on consumer products and to take that IP out there and to do something with it. So there's, there's all kinds of models 
to follow. Hey, you know, I really appreciate it. Any last words from either of you guys here? I mean, we're kind of re- using up our time here. Any last words, Trev? No, only connect with Cholwe. It sounds like she uh, she knows a lot of what's going on and I'm going to be connecting with her and having a chat. So it's um, that, I've enjoyed this chat. Great, great. So Cholwe, any last words? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So last words. Um, I look forward to connecting with Trev. And one thing I would like to advise anyone who is starting uh, their business in esports to not look at it as a short-term success type of story, but to look at it in the long term for the long haul. Esports is in its genesis. Yes, we've had a lot of success over the years as an industry, but we are really at the genesis of where this is going. Uh, so we have to be aggressively patient. And we also have to look at it from a business perspective, even as much as we love gaming and we are passionate about it. Always remember to look at it from a business perspective. Always remember uh, to look at your value. Always remember to build a strong team and always remember to take care of yourself, your mental health and make sure that you are still active and really ready to take on the challenge because it's a very challenging journey. Uh, it's not easy. So make sure you have your support system as well. So those are the last words I have. I really like when you say aggressively patient. That's a really good term. I'm going to get a t-shirt with that on it. I think I'll do, I think I'll, I'll design that. (laughs) (laughs) All yours, all yours, all Uh, yours. That's just a really good term. Aggressively patient. That's, that's exactly good advice for anyone. Hey, again, both of you, Trev, Joey, for taking the time here. This is the Gamers Change Lives podcast. This season two is follow the money, play games, create jobs, change lives. Thanks. This is Tom Leonard. You've just heard the Gamers Change Lives podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment and leave a review. And if you haven't subscribed, do so right now so that you can stay up to date with episodes as soon as they're uploaded and so you can hit the ground running on changing your esports adventure forever. You can also visit us at GamersChangeLivesPodcast.com. Play games, create jobs, change lives. Thanks for listening.